Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. Sound Reasoning is brought to you by our friends and Christian supporters of uh, ACE Apologetics. ACE stands for Answering Your Christian Concerns Effectively. The season is upon us where uh, many of us are seeing uh, darkness, ghouls and goblins come out of the closet And so today's episode, I wanted to deal with the Christian response to Halloween. The Christian response to Halloween. Now, a long time ago, there was a group of people called the Celts. They migrated from India and they settled in various parts of England, uh, France, and Ireland. And the Celts believed in the worship of nature, occultic arts, and animism. And animism is to believe uh, that uh, non-human things can have souls. So they worship specifically uh, nature, as I stated, especially oak trees, uh, as well as other plants. Now, the Celts worshipped the Lord of Death called Samhain, uh, and they worshipped him on October 31st. They had worship for Samhain as part of their winter festival. And it's been reported or recorded in the annals of history uh, that humans were also sacrificed during part of these festivals. The priestly class of these Celts were called Druids. According to their calendar, uh, the new year for them began on November 1st. So October 31st was the eve uh, to their new calendar year. As part of their tradition, the Celts and their priestly class believed that on the eve of their new year, uh, Samhain, who is the Lord of the dead, gathered two types of souls. He gathered uh, the evil human souls who were apparently condemned and sent into animal bodies, and that's likened to reincarnation. And then for the good souls, uh, they experienced reincarnation Uh, as human beings instead of animals for the dead souls. As a way to appease their God, the Celts often prayed and offered gifts. They even offered sacrifices uh, in order to please them. Now it was their belief that those who died during the preceding 12 months were allowed by this God of the dead to roam the streets and visit their families uh, before he called them back. So in other words, uh, things such as ghosts and evils, evil souls uh, visited the earth. In an attempt to ward off the goats, the Celts often lit, lit, uh, lit up bonfires. They wore costumes and they even offered up human sacrifices in some cases. Uh, this event occurred on the eve of their New Year celebration. Now during the 9th century, the church attempted to combat this pagan ritual they decided to create All Hallows' Eve, which landed on October 31st, the same 
day as the Celtic uh, day of the ghosts wandering in the streets. This was the eve of All Hallows Day, which in All Hallows Day was celebrated on November 1st. And it commemorated saints who had been martyred. Uh, we're talking about Catholic saints and we're talking about Roman uh, uh, Catholics. So when I use the term church, at this point I'm only talking about the Roman Catholics. So the name Halloween is a derivative from All Hallows Eve, which was the eve of the All Hallows Day, All Hallows Day, which celebrated the uh, martyred priests. So again, this was originally an attempt by the church to combat the evil practices uh, celebrated by the Celts, uh, the traditions that have been going on um, from the origins of the Celtic, cultic, uh, and pagan rituals. So according to recent statistics, Americans spend about $6 billion on Halloween alone. $2.5 billion is spent on costumes and accessories. The average consumer spends about $75 on miscellaneous items associated with Halloween. A census report conducted in 20, 2010 concluded that approximately 41 million children participate in going door-to-door -door or, as we know it, trick-or-treating. Some surveys report that on an average, 7 out of 10 Americans will celebrate Halloween. It does not matter much where you live in the United States. Trying to avoid the displays of darkness and uh, vampires and ghosts and ghouls and spirits and zombies and jack-o'-lanterns and, and children going on trick-or-treating is nearly impossible. Even if you're inside minding your own business, someone will come and knock on the door whether or not you have a light on. So children and adults are fixated with dressing up in costumes during Halloween. And I realize that many of us believe that it's innocent to engage or to participate in Halloween by wearing costumes and going to various parties as such. So I want to deal with that later on in this episode as time permits. In many cases, the costumes are of skeletons, ghosts, zombies, and other imageries associated with the occult. By the term occult, I'm simply talking about practices and activities which are hidden by a specific group. So when you hear the term occultic practice, it means hidden practices such as divination, human sacrifices, poltergeists, and many of you are familiar with poltergeists. Uh, it conjures up the uh, movie uh, from way back in the day, and you're familiar with that. And basically poltergeists... Uh, is the term used to explain, not explain, but to um, categorize uh, movements of things that can't be explained by physical means. So we're talking about poltergeists, incantations, etc. Since we can all agree, or most of us agree, that Halloween is closely associated with darkness and things of the occult, how should Christians respond? Should we participate like the world and live la vida loca and uh, live with this mindset that everything is permissible and uh, we shouldn't have any uh, boundaries? If so, how should we so, uh, participate? If we believe that we should participate, how should we participate? And 
Who do we go to to know how far to go in our participation? Which costumes are appropriate to wear? Or is it no hose bar? Can I dress in a costume that's blatantly contrary to my faith? Or is that okay? Which parties can we attend? Is it G-rated parties? Is it R-rated parties? Is it in between? Which party should we go to if you believe we should participate? Can we participate in trick-or-treat activities? How many houses are we supposed to go to? Uh, what are we supposed to wear? Who dictates which part of Halloween we are supposed to participate in, which can be uh, supported by Scripture, if you believe that? So in order to answer any questions regarding what believers can and cannot do, I think it's very important for us to review the rules dealing with Christian ethics. The subject of Halloween and the determination of Christian participation is only one area of life. The question is, or should be, do you normally make decisions as a Christian based on your own ideology or is it rooted in Scripture? Does it matter to you what God's words say or is it more important what other people are doing or how you've been raised or what people have told you? Are you a lover of truth based on biblical principles? Do you believe that the principles of the Bible are eternally binding and based on truth and they have no expiration date? These are questions that every Christian must answer. It does not matter if we're talking about gambling, food, drink, euthanasia for an example, ecology, marriage, or our view of war, Christians must always use the Bible as a starting point for deciding what to embrace and what to reject. So in other words, all believers need training, not only in sound doctrine, but in Christian ethics based on sound doctrine. This will help us to make decisions that are wise and prudent, and more importantly, approved by the God we say we love. Proverbs 13 and 16 says, All who are prudent act with knowledge, but fools expose their folly. Learning and practicing Christian ethics fulfill this wise saying. So let's look at Christian ethics. There are characteristics and dimensions that separate the way Christians make decisions versus the way the world make decisions. So for the Christian, we look at the rules that determines the result. We look at the rules that determines the result. But for the world, it is the result that determines the rule. So for example, for the world, if the result determines the rule, then the college student will say, I can negotiate my principles and offer my body up for money in order for me to buy textbooks. So I can become a pole dancer. I can donate my sperm. I can donate my eggs without any type of uh, boundaries. Why? Because the result is I need to have money. So the result determines the rule. But if you're a Christian 
and you happen to be a student, your notion, your mindset should be, I would do all I can to exhaust all the avenues that is within my power, which doesn't violate my Christian mores or mores, in order for me to obtain money for textbooks. So even if I've exhausted all the things that I can do, and I still haven't received the money, as a Christian, we know that we have to wait on God. If God wants us to be at this institution, if God made a way for us to be at this institution and he wants us to remain at this institution or place of learning, then I believe, I firmly believe with all my soul that God will provide uh, textbooks for you or for you to get access to textbooks. Number two, in terms of Christian ethics, it is the rule that is the basis of the act, meaning the motive. And for the world, it is the result that is the basis of the act. So for the world, they won't, for example, uh, the, the worldly mindset, and sometimes, unfortunately, you find, it, find this mindset in the church. I want my name to be recognized, so I work hard within my ministry with the sole purpose of me being recognized. But for the Christian this is not the type of thinking we ought to engage in in terms of motive. For the Christians, we realize that we work as we were working unto the Lord, and whether or not man recognizes us, it's, it, it's not significant because God rewards us, Colossians 3.23. So the rule is the basis of the act versus the worldly mindset, which says the result is the basis of the act. Then the third aspect says for the Christian, the rule is good regardless of the result. The rule is good regardless of the result. Uh, for, but for the world, the world mindset is the rule is good because of the result. The rule is good because of the result. There's something called a Good Samaritan Law. And the Good Samaritan Law basically says that you cannot successfully press charges against someone whose intent was to save a life. So the person that whose life is being saved can't turn around and sue the person who saved their life. It sounds foolish, but it actually has happened where uh, someone whose life was being saved turned around and sued the Good Samaritan. So as a result, there are laws in the books all across the nation that protects individuals uh, from uh, from being sued when they attempt to save someone's life. So the rule is good regardless of the result. So for um, for an example, if um, someone was drowning and you as a Christian went and you uh, pulled them to shore and you worked on them and let, let's say they still passed away, you couldn't revive them. Well, some will say the rule is bad because of what happened, because of the result, that it, it, you should have never done it in the first place. Now, you may be saying, who would think that way? Trust me, there are many people that think that way, that the, uh, res, uh, re, the result is based on, or the rule is based on the result in terms of uh, the outcome. But for the Christian, no, we have a higher ruling. The rule is good regardless of the result. So if I pull somebody to shore and I perform CPR and I perform first aid and they still pass away, 
is still good because God is interested in the preservation of life. So whether or not that person dies, it's not, it's not under my control. The only thing God wants us to do is to have this mindset that we at least tried to save someone. So the rule is good regardless of the result. Again, we're talking about Christian ethics. Then in Christian ethics, uh, let's take a look at the last aspect of characterization, which says the result is always calculated within the rules. But for the world, the result is sometimes used to break the rules. Just for an example, politicians. Not all politicians, but some politicians will say one thing, but once they get elected, they turn their back on their constitu uh, constituents and cut backroom deals. But for the Christian politician, they can't, they're not afforded that right. For the Christian, the result is always calculated within the rules. Regardless of how difficult it is to negotiate with other politicians, you must keep your word to your constituency or whoever you made it to. So the Christian must keep his word and not break their oath. Matthew 5.33 So these are dimensions of Christian ethics. Not necessarily what the world is doing, but focusing in on what we ought to do. Not what is being done, but what we ought to do. So in terms of our view of Halloween, um, it shouldn't be necessarily based on what's being done, or who's doing it, or what church is doing it, but what ought to be done. Are we willing to create new traditions based on God and based on lifting, lifting Him up as light? Just because everyone is doing it, it's not an acceptable answer. The question is, what does God have to say concerning such activities in His Word? Leviticus 19.31 tells us, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God, Leviticus 19.31. Then Deuteronomy 18, 10-13 says, Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engage in witchcraft, or cast spells, or who is the medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 13. And that path, these passages were for Israel. But let's turn to the New Testament. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. Ephesians chapter 5, 8 through 11 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So as we look at the book of Ephesians, be reminded that uh, the church in Ephesus lived in a culture of uh, paganism, lived in a culture of cultic practices. They worshipped the cult goddess Artemis, who was the goddess of the underworld and also a fertility goddess. So 
that's the environment that existed in Ephesus. But Paul is here is telling them, you were once in darkness. So we shouldn't participate or continue to participate in the things of darkness. Then 1 Thessalonians 5.22 is very succinct. It says that reject every kind of evil. That's it. Reject every kind of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22. So there's no way to reconcile Halloween as innocent as we want it to be with Scripture. Now, the only participation that's allowable is to participate by being a witness to those that are around us. Not necessarily getting caught up in the entertainment or the, or the festivities, but using acts or things that are within scriptural boundaries to be a witness to those that are around us. So many churches offer uh, different options uh, to reach out to the community. That's great. That's what the uh, early Roman Catholic Church attempted to do. Whether or not they were successful, only God would judge that. But we are um, commanded, we are obligated to stand on biblical principles and follow what God asks us to follow, not necessarily what the world is doing. So what should the Christian take on Halloween be? It should be to please our God at all times and not compromise our Christian ethics. Use the holiday, use the festivities as an icebreaker to bring somebody to the Lord. I pray that you got something out of today's episode. And remember, we endeavor to bring the truth that's often found in the ivory towers of seminary down to the steeple towers of the local church. Have a great day. And may the light of Christ shine through you and your family. God bless. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught, so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? I mean, you are called by God, and aren't we all praying the big prayer, Here I am, Lord, send me. So if we put two and two together, you've got a message to deliver, my friend. Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, art to make, or businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth, unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. I use my mic like a machete, so if you don't like to get your toes stepped on or pushed off cliffs to finally jump on in with Jesus, I may be too much for you. But if you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, 
search and follow the Messenger Movement Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com today.